welcome to the show. I am so excited that we've got you on. Tried to get you on the last little cohort of filming, but we missed you, but now it's great to have you here. Um, for the benefit of everyone, and I'm sure most of our audience do know who Antler is, but for the benefit of anyone who doesn't, could you sort of give us a quick overview of what Antler does, both here and, and globally, and then how you sort of ended up becoming involved? I'm, I'm keen to hear this. Cool, yeah, sure, thanks, Steve. So, Antler started coming up to three years ago. Yeah. It's headquartered in Singapore. And in those three years, we've actually become the largest early stage VC in the world by deal number. That's massive. And it is, yeah, it's been such a ride. Um, Sydney was the fourth city to launch globally. And what we do is, Andler is all about removing the barriers to entrepreneurship. So what are they? They are um, being able to find a co-founder, having access to capital, and then knowing and having the conviction like that idea is worth quitting your full-time job, walking away from everything you're doing and building. So what Antler does is solve for those things. Yep. So we run cohorts twice a year where around 80 individuals will join us and their backgrounds are commercial. So think um, exited founders, mm -hmm. um, top tier management consultants, those who can put like the business model and the go to market strategy behind a company. Then there's technologists, which are predominantly the software engineers who build out the products yep. and then subject matter pros. So people who go really deep in their industry or technology and know about the unmet customer need or advances in technology which haven't been fully utilized yet. So these individuals come to us to form companies together and we put around them all of the support, all of the building blocks to enable them to do that. And one of the main points is access to funding. Mm -hmm. So the program split into two parts and at the end of phase one, these um, individuals become teams and then they pitch to our investment committee and then if we invest in them that unlocks the next part of the program which is all about enabling them to scale globally because as I mentioned we have that global footprint so Sydney was fourth to launch and we're now in 14 locations across six continents. Wow that did not realize one I had no idea it was out of Singapore I just, mm -hmm. I just didn't know that. Yeah. Um, so we were fourth, and now, four, you say 16 locations across? 14 locations. 14 locations. Six continents. That's, that's a pretty big global footprint. Yeah. So how did you end up, how long have you been at Antler now? Um, so it's coming up to two years, okay. but um, Antler years are a bit like dog years, so it definitely <laughs> feels like 14. a lot longer. Um, so I was part of the team that launched Antler into Australia, right. which was very exciting. So prior to that, I was with um, now Unicorn Safety Culture, yes. scaling their product and engineering function. And then I was with BCG Digital Ventures, yes. which is the innovation arm of BCG. So when they created a company, I would put in place like the founding team for when that went to market to scale it. Um, and I was quite happy there. I'd actually just been promoted. And then one of my friends said, Adele, you need to meet Bede. He's doing something really interesting. I'd heard of Bede. I was like, I can meet Bede. And that was on the Monday. <laughs> and he told me about this massive vision about how this VC was going to launch in Australia and then the world, and it was going to do it differently to any other VC that had ever been done before. I was like, oh, right? <laughs> Um, this sounds this sounds interesting, and then that was on the Monday, and then on the Friday I had a job offer, and then I accepted it over the weekend because I just had this incredible sense of if this was going to happen, I had to be part of the team that was building it. Wow, I love it when things happen so quickly. Like yeah, that. and so what's your role at the moment? 
So at the moment, I am the director of um, founder recruiting, mm -hmm. which means that I put in place the like the the overall process and the attraction and selection of how we bring the around 80 founders onto each program. Yep. And is have you done that pretty much for the whole two years? So how many cohorts have you done? during that? So I have done three cohorts. So that means that we have around about one and a half thousand applications per cohort. We first stage interview around 700 of those, so around 50% to get to about um, 80 individuals. So I've looked over around about 4,000 applications, like personally interviewed, gosh, probably three to 400 founders. And we're now around 80% of the way to assembling January's intake. Goodness. Now, I've got, a, I've got an interesting question because obviously I've done a lot of interviews, I've met a lot of founders. And I'm, is there any one thing that you've found has been a defining factor for success or are they all completely diverse? Yeah, so this is interesting. So I'm in the process of mo moving into a new role, which is going to be the global head of founder strategies, which is like how we work this out. So like the main project that I'm undertaking with that is to actually codify like what it means to be a founder, like what is founder DNA? Wow. And what's really exciting about Antler is because of the global scale that we are doing this at, we are actually going to have the data set to hopefully work this out. Um, to explain about how we think about it in Sydney, it's, and also ma majority of our global locations, is like, first of all, you have to have like the underlying skill. Yep. Um, that's either, as I mentioned, in commercial, technology, or domain expertise. And then it's like, why are you the person to solve this in the short, medium, and long term? Mm -hmm. Most people can do short to medium. Not many people can understand what the unfair advantage they're giving to their business long term is. And then it's that absolute hunger and drive. And we've learned that more actually over the cohorts is that that needs to be weighted equally to the skill level. So there has to be that burning commitment to build a company and also the resilience. So. Some people we've had no, said no to because they've actually had such glittering careers to date. They've never had to face failure. And we need to know these individuals <laughs> will like fail and get up, fail and get up because you will not experience more failure than in the early days of starting a business. So they're failing your interview process based on their success. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah they could, they, no one's fun that back at me like that yet. They could. <laughs> That's kind of what it is. So tell me about the new roles. Is the new, are, you, are you going to be doing, are you joining a global team? Yeah, so I'm going to be doing um, both concurrently. So I'm still going to be leading the, the Sydney. You've got so um, much time, right? Uh, yeah, exactly. I do. <laughs> why, why not do two roles? Um, I suppose I've hopefully got that like operational to a, a sense that I can come a bit more hands off. Yep. Um, and maybe do a little bit less interviewing. And then um, with the global role, it's, yeah, like what are the tools that are out there that we can adopt to really understand this founder DNA and how do we pull all of those insights together to be able to really codify what means to be a great founder? That is going to be so fascinating. I mean, I love people, which is why I've worked in yeah. my whole life, but to actually codify and to have the data. So um, you said you're the biggest by deal size. How many deals are we talking um, I guess, I don't know whether you know it globally, I'm sure you do, but, but yeah, both locally and globally. Sure, so from each one of our cohorts locally, we're producing around 15 companies twice a year. So currently our portfolio is 38 companies here yep. in Sydney. And then globally, we've invested in um, around 500. 500? Yeah. You've created 500, yes. That is without question the largest VC in the yeah. world by a significant amount, I yeah. would have assumed. Yeah. And once you get past that, 
first phase and you get your funding for your next phase, do you continue to lead funding rounds like A, B, C, D as, as you continue through the journey with them? Is that, is, have you had ones that that's happened with them? It's not that long a time you've been going, yeah. I guess. So, but is that the idea of what, is how you'll continue? Sure. So here in Sydney, we closed a $46 million fund, which we plan to deploy over the next um, now four to five years. Yeah. And that is predominantly for the initial investment that we do, the pre-seed amount. Yeah. We do, in some cases, follow on into their subsequent rounds, but Antler more broadly is raising a global fund at the moment, and the purpose of that is to then do the ABC rounds. Yes, okay, cool, so that's the plan. I'll be fascinated to see if the data around codifying founders is different locally or whether it is the same globally. Yeah. You'll have to let us know. I don't imagine that's going to be a quick process. <laughs> yeah, and definitely, like, and tracking it back through all of the, the rounds, like when they fail and why they fail and when, it's going to be, yeah, it's going to oh, be fascinating. Gonna, it really is. I mean, that's a true, yeah. Oh, that's, that, I've never heard of a role like that before. That's just going to be so interesting. Um, okay, so I think I mentioned to you and I, and I talk to everyone, there's too many of these shows that just talk about wonderful successes. Mm. Um, you've obviously seen a lot of success and both failure. Um, from your perspective with Antler, is there, what have you found from an Antler point of view to have been the hardest thing to get right over the last two years? I think I've got an idea, but I'm interested to know if it's the same as what you say. <laughs> yeah, I think that um, what I've learned from Antler is how hard it is to create a brand that goes across all of the areas that you need it to. So what we're finding at the moment is in like the, the community that know us, they really know and understand that. But how do we permeate that across all of the areas that we need to be in? So for example, um, we're going to be focusing a lot more on deep tech. So how do I get that antler messaging? How do we get the antler messaging out of like the startup community and into like the universities, um, for example? And how do you need to adapt that messaging to really resonate with those individuals? Mm -hmm. So for some people, they know us incredibly well. For some people, when I say I work at Antler, they go, oh, luggage still, <laughs> which, um, which is obviously very different to what I we're doing. I never even put those two <laughs> things together until you just said that. That's quite funny. I obviously work in the startup community because I did not think luggage when yeah. I first said it. Um, gosh. <laughs> and so how have you overcome that or how, in, in, I guess you're still thinking about it, but have you come up with any ideas? I guess doing shows like this might, might help, but also have, is there anything specific that you've learned through trying to overcome that? that perhaps you didn't realize before? Yeah, I think in the early stages, we were so focused on the next horizon. Yeah. So in the early days, it was, we need to assemble the cohort. Then we need to set up a demo day. Then we need to, it was all quite like, um, focusing on like just component parts in a yeah. sequence. And now we're coming up a level and working out like, well, what's the mission? How do we then feed everything that we're doing on a day-to-day -day basis into this mission? And how do we change our communication approach to really be like telling the story of our success? Mm -hmm. So in the early days, it was very hard because we didn't have any portfolio yep. companies like we just hadn't done it yet. But now we are getting these examples. So how do we share that message, which is of benefit obviously to the Antler brand, but also to our um, portfolio companies because as you're doing here which is awesome often it's really hard for them to get a voice with limited resources oh. and with so much noise coming out from the big players so how does that communication piece work for both us and them yeah cool and and uh, you mentioned demo days what's what is a demo day explain to me what, what you sure. what happens on a demo day so the de demo day is um 
like the climax of our cohorts. Right. So um, they run for five and a half to six months and that marks the, the close. It's where we present our portfolio companies to the world essentially. So our first one was monumental. It was uh, pre-COVID. So we went for the Australian's largest MA day and we hired out Town Hall which has a thousand person capacity. That big space in the middle of it. A big space huge, in yeah, the middle, huge, yeah. And um, we filled it and we got another thousand on our live stream, which was awesome. But that's where our portfolio companies go up and pitch their companies. Half of that room was investors. So it was definitely to, to get investment, but also like a broader marketing piece. Um, since COVID, we've needed to shift that to be virtual. So in settings similar to this. Yep. Um, which has actually been awesome because even though it doesn't give such a sense of maybe the event at the time, it gives our portfolio companies like packaged content that they can then use for their purposes. And it's become more, I would say, of a marketing event than a pure investor event because actually even in our first cohort, three of our portfolio companies went into Demo Day with their rounds closed because of us raising the $56 million fund was so in touch with the investor community and many of those investors came into the fund so they could have like first access to our portfolio companies. Right. So we can start um, the fundraising as soon as we've invested for them. Some of them choose to wait till a demo day because they want to have their product at that point before they do so. That's the product focus founders, yeah. right? We want it perfect. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you talked about investment. So are most of your investors angel type investors or have you gone institutional? Have you gone, five? is it a real mix or? It's, um, it's mainly like family offices, yeah. LPs. We only have um, one institutional investor, um, but yeah, it's majority is not that. Okay. And you touched on COVID as well. Obviously, we seem to be coming to the end of the life-changing stuff, even though COVID, I'm sure, will go on forever, if not, if not ever. Um, how has that impacted, I guess, your founders that have suddenly had working from home? You know, they've suddenly mm -hmm. started a business and, and now the whole world's changed. And, and that must have had a massive impact, not just necessarily on the idea or the product that they were making, but also on them mentally. Have you seen, have you seen it have a big impact? Yeah, so when COVID hit, we were in the um, final stages of our second cohort. So that meant that the, the teams had already met one another, they were gelled. It was really about preparing for, for demo day and their continued scaling. And then we had to set up how we run uh, a cohort virtually for the beginning of our third one. And if you think that so much of this is about meeting your co-founder, which should be viewed as like a two to seven year relationship. Yep. Like a lot of that is done like on a person to person basis and sensing it off chemistry. And we had to switch that to virtual, which we were able to do. And then we did manage to start bringing people back on site in smaller groups. Um, but yeah, like operationally for us, it was, it was a hard thing to do, but our founders coped with it exceptionally well. Um, we made more investments out of that cohort than we had done from the prior one. So that was a good testament to it as well. Yeah. Did you find your, the interest in Crete? Because I know your last cohort, I know a lot of people, yeah. just bizarrely, completely coincidentally, that went into that, who I would never have thought would have done that. Mm. Um, and a lot of the candidates that I was actually working with, with on trying to find roles went and, and joined your cohort. So it was quite, it, quite ironic. Did you find that the interest level went up in, in your program during that? 
So there were there was two distinct groups. Some people just saw it as even more risk and were like, this is not the time. Probably not the founders no, one. Not the founders <laughs> we wanted. So in a way, they deselected themselves. Yes, so it made is. my job a little bit easier. Um, but then for the second group, like when you look back, like, the historical data points to actually a downturn being an awesome time to create a business because in 2008 is where like the Ubers, Airbnb, Square, Pinterest started and got funded. Name a few. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and that's due to like changing user behaviors, like access to capital, etc. So um, when this started, it was actually quite a compelling story for us to tell from that perspective. But also on an individual level, I was saying to people, all you're likely to be doing in your current role is BAU. So really, the opportunity cost of you doing this is actually the lowest it's going to be because your company's probably going to be in crisis control. You're not going to be pushing new products. You're not going to be able to go for that promotion. So now is actually even personally the best time for you to start a business. It's just how you frame it, right? Just yeah. how you frame it. Now, my favorite question, um, and you would have hopefully read this last night and had a panic attack when you saw it. <laughs> Most people do. It's the belief question. So yeah. whether it was joining Antler, although you were very invested in that startup community, and, and when were you at Safety Culture? Because I did a lot of recruitment for Safety Culture in the very early years, just before Jill joined. So I joined just after Jill. So I would have, we would have done some, I had yeah. a different business then, but we would have done some recruitment back yeah. then. Um, so, you know, you've come from that startup community, so it could be a work thing, it could be COVID, but have you had a belief that, has changed in the last years and, and why do you and what happened I guess that made you change that belief because I think a lot of people's beliefs have changed over the last few years yeah so one of the things we actually look for in our um Antler Sydney interview process is strong beliefs loosely held so people <laughs> that can like fully throw everything behind an idea but when it's proved to them that's not the best plus forward like drop it and walk away and walk away and move on to the next um I think for me this is this is quite personal. So I came to Australia four years ago. My husband's an engineer. He got an amazing job opportunity thrown at him with a new company. Neither of us had been to Australia before, but it was just one of those opportunities you seize. Um, and he went straight into that. And we had our girls were one and three at the time. So I was facing like restarting my career um, with no support network, having never been to the country before, where a lot of my value is like the network and my local understanding. So it's been, it's taken a lot of effort over the last three years to, to build to where I am now. And I, the belief that changed with me is I felt like I had to make sacrifices all the time to do that. I felt like I either had to sacrifice maybe some of the time that I could physically spend at work to be with my girls or sacrificing the time I was with my girls to be able to be in the office or the amount I could like, time I could spend on myself. But recently through COVID, it's actually opened up. I'm able to do all of the things now, as in like I can go swimming five times in a week in the ocean. I can drop my girls off at school and I could still do my job well enough to the point of getting a promotion. Like it's been such a silver lining of the flexibility we've been given through working arrangements yep. that my belief of like just having to accept that everything wasn't quite possible and having to make sacrifices um, has now come to the point of like, oh, Everything. It does work. <laughs> it works. I've been through a similar thing. I really have. I'm the same. I have two children. Mine are a little bit older. They're, they're 10 and 12, and they're getting to the age where they won't want to spend too much time with me. Mm -hmm. Soon I'll, they'll be teenagers, and I'll be just of no interest. And I've, I've found the same thing. I've found that you can make it all work. It's mm -hmm. fascinating that you've done that at that younger age as well, which I remember being particularly difficult when yeah. they were that young. Okay, so you. this is a question that, that people really like because, as in the audience, because 
there's a lot of podcasts and there's a lot of books. And you can go on onto Booktopia and be there all day, and you can go onto iTunes and be there all day and not know what to listen to. So, mm-hmm. is there anything, either book or podcast, that you have found to be useful, or one that you've just c- sort of kept up for a long time, and that you would recommend to anyone? Sure. I um, on the book front, I've been carrying around um, a book called Venture Deals, which yep. is like how to be smarter than your lawyer. For about the last <laughs> year, I've taken it on every, <laughs> nearly every ferry ride, nearly every holiday we've been on, and, and not really got past page ten. Um, so podcasts, I'll answer. So on the ferry, I live in Manly, commuting yep. in. Um, I listen to Invest Like the Best, um, which is. I'm mainly getting um, international, it's an American podcast, and um, very notable co-founders and VCs. Blackbird was actually on there a couple of weeks ago, and them talking about like, what are are the market trends? Like, let's deep dive into a particular market segment. Like, let's really uncover like founder DNA. It kind of covers all of the topics which I need to be across. Cool, that's good. I think that's good. I like it when people bring new ones. Sometimes the same ones keep popping up, but uh, it's a question everyone loves. Now, very important question. At the program, um, you'll be doing a new cohort soon. If someone has ever thought about starting a business, is going to start a business, or hasn't even thought about a business, but might be now they've watched this episode, why would they want to join the Antler program? What does the Antler program offer them outside of what we've already spoken about? Excellent. I'll say also that it is those those groups that you mentioned, but actually, in our last cohort, 24% of the cohort were those who had exited a business, so sold their business as the founder or director. So we're bringing new blood into the ecosystem, but also um, experienced founders are joining us as well. And the reason that they're doing this is because we're de-risking entrepreneurship as much as it can be. It's inherently risky, but we're putting such a framework around it as you join to get access to a co-founder network. So around 80 individuals, highly skilled, who've walked away from everything else that they're doing, ready to build a business with you now. Like often you can like tell your mate your idea, they get excited, like maybe they'll give you the evenings, weekends. Like this is 80 individuals from outside of your network ready to build now to be a potential co-founder. We also have, um, you get a dedicated antler coach, which is somebody who has founded and sold a business as well to help you on a weekly basis with like idea validation and thinking around the business model. We also um, have the clear path to capital. So you know when our investment committee is going to be, so you should get your investment at certain milestones. And also the community, like solo founders blow my mind but now even seeing an antler even when you've got two or three co-founders i actually see that as being a slightly lonely journey because you get 80 people who are all building at the same time as you so it's one of those life experiences like similar to going to university or similar to like when you have a baby where you have this community around you when you're having such an intense shared experience that you build such strong bonds with so this community will be your first beta customers when your product's really dirty and horrible and no one wants to look at it (laughs) they'll um They'll open up their networks to, to your networks. To it, It's just this huge network effect that lasts just in the Antler program, but then going forwards. And also a couple of weeks ago, I did a, an event with two of our first portfolio companies, and they spoke about how 14 months later, like the ongoing value that Antler is still able to give to them in terms of making first hires, So, um, which, as you know, is so hard for a business. Uh-huh. So... 
that was Upstreet, they're now at seven people and six of those individuals that they've hired have actually come through the Antler program subsequently. That's amazing. So it's just such an ongoing value add that we're able to give to founders on the areas which are usually so hard, finding a co-founder, access to capital, and then continued scaling from a talent perspective, but also fundraising perspective. Absolutely. Look, I love I love the community thing. I'm a, I'm a member of an entrepreneurs club, which I get massive value out of from a from a, on, a sort of community thing, which I didn't have before, and that's been huge to me. And this is a similar thing. But as I've said on this show a hundred times, the number one question I get asked by every single founder is, "Can you help us get funding?" Yeah. So to have a clear path and to have access and to not just have no idea where or where to go, I think those two things are just huge. Fantastic. I'm so glad you've come on. I'm so excited about your promotion. and I'm so excited to see the results of that. That's going to be awesome. And I don't know how the hell you're going to fit that in <laughs> with your other role of interviewing, but that's fine. We can wonder about that later. Yeah. Um, thank you so much for coming on. Um, I hope people have really enjoyed this and I hope this has really sort of made everyone understand what Antler is because I think it's just an awesome program. Thank you. I really Thanks appreciate that, Steve. Cheers.